Hello, friends. This is the Peak Curiosity Podcast. I'm Abigail. I am delighted to present this episode with my grandma, Don. I asked her to do an episode about parenting and to prepare a couple of stories, both of success and failure as a mom. And this is what she came up with. It was not what I expected, but since when have my expectations had to do with anything on this podcast? She talks about giving birth to her first daughter and she basically was silent, <laughs> which apparently that scene in a quiet place with the mom birthing in the tub but not screaming is not as unrealistic as I originally thought. Um, she shared some really encouraging stories from when she was a young mom with babies, including kicking her foot through the wall, and how to help children through difficulties at school, both with teachers and bullies, and just getting through those darn teenage years. Dawn is a phenomenal woman, and she oozes with joy, as you will soon hear. Give me a couple fun facts about yourself. Fun facts. <laughs> okay. I was uh, the daughter of a preacher. A Methodist? Yes. I was married when I was 17 even though I had graduated and I turned 18 two weeks later, or three weeks later, we better be honest. <laughs> I don't know if you want to say that. <laughs> well, so your parents, like looking back at yourself now, do you think what in the world were we doing at 18? What was Evan? Was he 18? He was... 19. Mm. No, because, and that's one thing I was going to talk a little bit about. I think that everyone is equipped for different things. And the two of us were equipped to share life together. <laughs> In what ways? How do you guys work together? Because you really work together really well. Well, I, my mom had always encouraged me to, that maybe I should move in with a group of girls for a year before I got married, just to have some time on my own. But I had had friends that were living in an apartment as soon as we graduated. And whenever I went to their houses, their bathrooms were full of hair and moldy <laughs> toilets and <laughs> sinks full of dishes. And I could not bear with that. And I knew that I would always be the one cleaning up after everyone because I couldn't stand it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at least in a home with a husband and a wife at that point in time, there were still well-defined roles. Mm -hmm. And um, I could deal with my own mess and the mess of my husband far better than I could deal with other women's messes. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> So, and I had had some experience even. We um, hosted international students and we had foster 
um, kids live with us. And so I discovered fairly early on that not everyone lives life the same way. Mm-hmm. And um, their experiences in life are different. One of the gals that we had had been raised in a wealthy Filipino home. Mm -hmm. And so she never did anything. (laughs) She left her clothes on the floor. She didn't sweep. She didn't clean the hair out of the sink Mm -hmm. um, because she'd always had servants. Mm -hmm. And um, so we were her servants. (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So for us to get married. And in our first year of marriage, I was going to school and training to become a nurse. And my husband um, was going, taking a couple of classes and um, working a couple of different jobs. We were managing an apartment. He worked at the service station. And um, he also was the maintenance man for his dad at the apartments. So, um, but he also had been exposed to the navigators while he was at college the year before and had really started a strong time of quiet in the morning and with scripture memory. And so he would get up and go have his quiet time while I was getting ready. And then he often made my lunch for me and helped me get out the door. And that was really, really a blessing because, as most people who know me know, getting out the door is a challenge. (laughs) Yes. But it's usually because I have so many things that I am juggling and doing, and if I can just do one more thing before I get out the door, then... That will be fine. I will get there. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, so that was our first year. That was, uh, and he decided, well, no, his draft number, that was when they still had a military draft. It was the end of the Vietnam War. And his draft number was the lucky number 11. So Hmm. he was definitely going to be drafted into the military. And um, he thought that he could probably be disqualified on a medical um, thing because he had problems with his knees and he also had skin allergies. Um, but he wasn't. They, they gave him a full, clean bill of health. And so he decided to join the Air Force because he didn't want to be a gunner. Mm-hmm. in the army. Mm-hmm. And so he um, was sworn in and did a delayed enlistment, which you could do at the time. And then two weeks to the day after he was sworn in, they canceled the draft. <laughs> wow. So oh, nice. we knew that that was the direction the Lord was taking us in. And 
that's kind of where our journey in parenting begins. Um, he went in to the military, and I finished up my nurse's training. So I was staying with my parents again during those last couple of months. And then I loaded up the possessions that we had, and my brother and I... I took my nurse's licensing test, and my brother and I hopped in the car and headed for Texas. And that was my first adventure in driving across the country. No, it wasn't, because I, but by myself, with my brother, without our parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that was an adventure, and we got to Wichita Falls, Texas, and um, it was the 4th of July, (laughs) (laughs) and we always had called it July 4th, and so to have them enunciate it with their southern drawl and so distinctly always made us giggle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then my brother informed us that he got a glimpse of the fireworks of young love. Oh. <laughs> so there we go. Like, like exactly. <laughs> It's like, you go for a walk. We haven't seen each other in two months. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. (laughs) So anyway, but well, and so I am 18 and a half at that point and um, off on the big adventure Evan and I put my brother on an airplane back to Oregon and started our life in a little apartment. Um, And it was fun. We had a good time. We were there for about three months while he did his tech school. And during that time, we did decide that we were ready to have a baby. (laughs) And um, so... How do how do you decide that? Well, we were off on our own, and we'd always had family mm-hmm. around us, brothers and sisters, and our parents, and now it was just the two of us, and um, it just seemed like it was time, <laughs> and. Um, and it was something we prayed about, and then it happened. <laughs> and it doesn't always happen that easily, mm-hmm. but we did find ourselves expecting our first child. And that was very exciting. Yeah. We were both excited about that. Um, we moved in September to Abilene, Texas. And we had a little bit of a leave, so we drove back to Oregon. um, And we made the announcement to our families. And his mom said, no, you're just babies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. Yes. But that was the path that we were set upon. 
and it was a good path um, for us. So he was in the Air Force, and he was the crew chief on what is known as the C-130 aircraft. It's a transport airplane. And because he was the crew chief on that, he traveled everywhere that that airplane went. (laughs) And so we were together um, in Texas, in Abilene, from September through about the middle of January. And he was sent on a temporary duty assignment to Germany. And so I flew back to Oregon and was able to have the last couple of months of that pregnancy here with and I stayed with my parents. And that was an extra special blessing because this was their first grandchild. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there are a lot of hormones and all of those things. You're, you tend to value your mom a little bit more when you are about to become a mother yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I had always had a great example of a mother. I guess I should step back and say that my parents decided to go into the ministry when they were um, in their mid-twenties. And we moved from Oregon to Indiana when I was going into the fifth grade. And my dad went to school in Chicago, Illinois, well, it was actually Evanston, which is a little bit further. So he had two churches that he pastored, and then he would be gone all week while he went to seminary. And my mom was at home with five kids by herself. Wow. Yes. One of those was born about two weeks after we got to Indiana. Wow. She was quite pregnant as we made that trip across the country. Um, And so... I imagine the nesting instinct was really, really tough to be packing everything instead of (laughs) unpacking and getting it settled. Yes. Wow. (laughs) And that was an adventure. It really was because we had a smaller car, but... And those were the days of no seat belts and no Mm -hmm. car seats. Um, And so she was, you know, eight months pregnant. (laughs) And um, so one kid would sit in the front between my mom and my dad, and then the other three of us would be in the back seat. And we rotated that. Um, We were in Yellowstone coming down the mountain and we got behind a car that was backfiring terribly. Mm -hmm. The only time that I ever saw my mom get sick (laughs) and it was just because she was pregnant and Mm -hmm. the smell was so bad. We had to stop so that she could walk it off. (laughs) But she was such a gracious example of a wife and mother she did lean a lot on my brother and I um 
he was 11 and I was 10. And then we had the three younger ones. My brother, my youngest brother also um, was mentally delayed. And so she had a lot of challenges, but she faced all of those, and I watched her. And one of the things that I remember um, was she was faithful to have a quiet time in the morning just to get some scripture into her, uh, and she would pray. And so that equipped me for being a mother with a husband who traveled a lot. Mm -hmm. And I knew it could be done and that it could be done with grace um, because I had watched it be done. And though I will say um, there were definitely those moments. Anyway, Becca was born in McMinnville, Oregon, and um, it was a joy and delight for all of us. She was that baby in the nursery window that everybody looked at and said, Oh, look at that little one. Isn't she beautiful? (laughs) Because she was. She was just so beautiful. How Um, was the labor? Well, I had been through nurses training, so I had a medical understanding of labor. And um, that was really on the very beginning of natural childbirth. And I mean, they had gone through years where women were always medicated to give birth. Um, but they were discovering that it was better for baby and mother if they could get through it without. Um, and Evan did get back from Germany in time to be there. He was not in the delivery room because we weren't able to take any classes for him to be able to do that. They don't make you take classes now, but Mm -hmm. they did back then because that was just the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I had a basic understanding. Um, It was more intense than I could have imagined. Um, But So we went into the hospital. It was probably about 4 a.m. when we got there. And it was a full moon. And my mom said while she sat out there and waited, you know, every 20 minutes another person would come in. There were so many moms that went into labor. Over that same time. So they had women laboring in the hallway. I was fortunate. I got there. I was the first one. So, you know, I got to have my own room. But Does the moon have anything to do with this? Yes. Yeah. The gravitational pull. (laughs) That sounds like an old wives tale. I know, but there is some truth to it. Usually in the five-day realm right before and after, if you're close to your due date. 
That's crazy. Your body responds to the gravitational pull of the moon. Now, I've always heard that there were these just legends. I've never looked into it. I just heard whisperings that people always thought women were like controlled by the moon phases. But apparently there's some logic. Just a little bit, right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you're a mom who's expecting a baby and its due date is around the full moon, don't just take my word for it. Because <laughs> there are always exceptions to the r- rule. Yes. <laughs> but obviously. for me, that was true. And that weekend was a very, very busy <laughs> weekend at the hospital. I um, knew that if I had, if I lost control, my husband, who was very protective, but also a little bit fearful. Sure. (laughs) Um, I just didn't think it would be good for him. And so I breathed and I worked and I tuned inward and I prayed. And um, the doctor called at noon and asked the nurses to, to how I was doing. And they said, oh, she's nowhere near ready. She hasn't been making enough noise. <laughs> and he said, no, I need you to go in and check her. So they did. And the only thing that was holding that baby back was the membranes around My her. Goodness. <laughs> And so they said, oh, you better come. <laughs> and I can remember the, this one nurse telling me I needed to push. And I was thinking, no, because when I push, this baby is coming out. And she said, you need to push. And I said, no, the doctor's not here yet. <laughs> and he walked in the door. They had slapped um, the oxygen on me because her heart rate was kind of decelerating. And it oh. was they discovered after I pushed her out that her cord was around her neck twice. So oh it was a good thing I did not push any earlier than I did. But... When I pushed, she came out. Just just like that. <laughs> My goodness. And so you were mostly silent up to this point. Yeah, because I I I just didn't I felt like screaming makes you tense and there were there was enough of that going on and <laughs> In fact, I was sitting there listening and I thought, is this going to get worse than what it is? Because all these other people were making noise. (laughs) But out she came and and she just looked around and it was just amazing. It was such a miracle. And... I think for a woman, that can be one of the most incredible moments of life, experiencing this little being that has been growing inside of you. And because I believe in God, and I 
believe that he is the one who creates these little beings in their mother's wombs to experience that just even further affirmed that sense of honor to be able to cooperate with God in the creation of another human being. Just, it was such a miracle. Afterwards, um, I did bleed pretty hard, um, and I was feeling very weak, and um, they asked if it was time to bring the babies out, and they asked if I was ready to have her, and I just, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know that I can hold her, because that's how weak I was feeling, and and they too knew that I was bleeding too hard, and they were working with that. That was why they asked. But then as I heard all the other mothers receiving their babies, I just had to have her. And they brought her to me, and um, I did choose to nurse her. And that was the moment that she gave me life. Mm-hmm. back. Um, I don't understand those dynamics, and yet from that moment on, I was no longer weak and tired, and my bleeding slowed down, mm-hmm. and um, I also have the RH negative blood. So I had to have extra shots because of that. And she did end up being jaundiced um, because she was a positive. And so she had to be under um, the lights and her little heel got poked so many times. I was so sad. And um, so they, they did they wouldn't let me go when I thought I was ready to go because they just wanted to make sure that this bleeding was under control. Um, so I was in there for three full days. And um, then we took her home, and we still had to take her back to the hospital um, for about three or four more days to make sure that the bilirubin was going away because... Um, Back in those days, when you had an RH negative mom and an RH positive baby, the mom's um, blood system can build up antibodies against that child and begin to attack it. Mm-hmm. And so we were flushing her with fluids and keeping her under the lights so that she wouldn't have to have any kind of a transfusion or anything. So, but it all happened. It all happened. And so that was good anyway. And then, um, we had to return to Abilene and Evan within two weeks was called out with his airplane again. (laughs) And this time I couldn't run home to Oregon. I had to figure out how to do this by myself. Mm -hmm. And I was a very um, fearful mother. (laughs) 
if ever I had to go out at nighttime, whenever I would come home, I would drive around the block of the little duplex that we were living in to make sure there was nobody hanging out. And then I would pull into the garage and I would say, God, help me get to the door safely. (laughs) And then I would reach over and I would pick her up in her little infant seat and I would gather her close to me and I would run as fast as I could (laughs) to the door and unlock it and go inside. Oh, man. I know. I know. (laughs) But that kind of stayed with me for quite a long while. But then again, that was another um, place of learning to put my hope and my trust in the Lord. So I have a scripture because for me, the whole parenting journey is based in the fact that God created us. And he had a plan. He created them male and female. And he looked at them and he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he looked and he said, it is very good. So the family structure is something that I believe is very, very important to God. And so at some point in my younger life, I had read Psalm 139. And it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And the other one is Ephesians 2 Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Those were very, very 
important principles to me because I saw myself in those words that God had created me. And there was a point at which I had to deal with my fear Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it says perfect love casts out fear. (laughs) And if I truly believe that God is that intimately involved in my life, then I have to believe that he has established the boundaries before and behind and that he has hemmed me in and that he has knowledge and will equip me to face whatever. Um, And that was really a process. That was probably something that really culminated even 20 25 years after she was born. Um, You know, we are all on a journey and we have to, it takes time Mm -hmm. um, to overcome those, those things that we are bound by. And fearfulness did bind me. When I was a child, we we were visiting our grandparents and we had gone down to the school, which was just down below their house and we're playing on the playground. It was some cousins and us. So there were maybe five of us all together. And this guy came and grabbed my brother and put a knife up to his throat and told us that we had to leave or he would kill him. And the Lord had given me very fast legs. And I ran with all of my being up to my grandparents' house. And my dad wasn't always with us, but this particular time he was. How old were you? I lost on the timeline here. I I really went back in time. But it's partly the explanation for the fearfulness. Oh, I understand. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, And so he went running down. Um, He told all of us to stay up there and he went running down. And, you know, time for a child. um, But he was able to rescue my brother. Um, So there was, and actually my daughter reminded me of that. (laughs) I never, ever, ever, ever allowed my children to go over to the school and play by themselves. Um, Because that happened to me probably was 59 or 60. And the year 59 or 60? Yeah. So how old were you? I was probably five or six. And how old was the brother? He was seven and a half. So did you ever find out why? Or maybe he was six. Oh, (laughs) well, it was traumatic. Well, yeah. Did Um, you ever find out why this guy was doing this? uh, You know, I, I think that we have an enemy 
and I think we are moved along by the flesh and by our weaknesses unless we come to grips with a redeemer and I you know as a child you don't talk about that and I really haven't talked with my parents um, but it was one of those situations so anyway so did you guys have nightmares I can only imagine the kind of things uh, that would bring up in a kid I don't know just that fearfulness I mean I can remember you know um, laying in bed (laughs) and looking out the door if I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to go to the bathroom and there was a lamp that cast a shadow and it almost looked like a monster in its mouth (laughs) and so again that I I would see that and I would tell myself that's just the lamp it's just the lamp but I would say help me Jesus to get to the bathroom I would run to the bathroom slam the door and lock it then I would stand there at the door and I would breathe and get ready and I'd open it and I would run as fast as I could and jump in the bed and throw the covers over my head it's so cute (laughs) um (laughs) yeah so I guess that's just a picture of me 20 years later running to the door with my baby and unlocking yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But, but there were reasons for that. <laughs> I, I guess I, I just figured if there was a bad thing that could happen, it would happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did um, you live in a scary neighborhood? No, no. It was, we lived in a little corner, but again, I had moved to this community and we hadn't lived there all that long. But even when we moved to Ontario, Oregon, (laughs) when my daughter would go out jogging in the fields by herself, I still had to say, okay, Lord, I just give her to you. Please protect her. She's got the dogs. I don't know if they would protect her or not, but, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Anyway, this was supposed to be about my parenting and... um... That was the original plan, but that's okay. But knowing some of the stories from your own childhood helps you to understand why you parented the way you did. Mm-hmm. And I had a good example, so I'm very, very grateful for that. I was a strong believer that we were not here by accident. And that was the thing that I brought into my parenting, my husband and I together, was that We were not only God's workmanship, but these children were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And our role was to create an environment in which God could move in their lives. And we are not the ones who save anybody else. 
God is the one, but we as parents are responsible to give him that opportunity and to work in concert with him to bring up these little people that he has plans for and that we have the opportunity to guide and give plans to give hope and purpose. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, so you had four children total. Yes. That was a long time on Becca. Yes, it was. It was. It was more on me. I'm sorry. But anyway, um, so Melissa, number two, came 20 and a half months after and then we had a three-year break between Melissa and Jana, and then a 26-month break between Jana and Brandon. Becca loved from the day she was born to fly. She just, she loved being thrown in the air. She loved to jump off the couch into somebody's arm. Melissa was much more tentative. <laughs> she was probably a little bit more like her mama in that way. <laughs> yes, I've already told you my husband. No, I haven't. After we got out of the service, he became a pilot. Mm -hmm. And so his traveling continued during um, our children's growing up. And it was pretty humorous because I was the child, the only one in our family, that my dad had a friend who wanted to take us all up in his airplane. And all of my brothers and sisters went. And I stayed on the ground because I knew we would fall out of that air, that sky. <laughs> so here I am married to a pilot. <laughs> That is really funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, um, Melissa, I can remember my mom came down and stayed. We were still in Texas at the time. And um, that was a, another funny birth. That was a funny birth story because I had determined I wasn't going to go to the hospital too soon. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to stay home as long as possible. And sit in my comfortable lounging chair, which I did. And my mom finally decided to go to bed, but she said, please don't wait too long, Dawn. <laughs> because she was thinking we needed to be on our way to the hospital. So we decided to go about 1.30 and got every, in a.m., and got everything in the car and headed out, and it was about a, or maybe it was 1.15. Anyway, we got to the hospital about quarter till two. It was a very windy and cold, cold night, but in the emergency area, it says no parking. So my husband drove in and saw that, and there were no parking spots in the parking lot. So he drove out. It was about a block away and parked and I had to walk. And, <laughs> and this time we had waited a long time and I <laughs> knew that I had already been through transition, which is the last stage before you actually push that baby out. And so, but the, the contractions do extend out. So 
it's kind of nice. So I'm walking across the parking lot like a duck, <laughs> holding my legs together. Oh my goodness. <laughs> don't fall out, don't fall yes. out. Yes. <laughs> a guy had seen us drive up and drive off, and he, he came running out with the wheelchair and said, I think you need this. And I said, yes, I do. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we were there about... Well, I told the nurses, you need to get my husband up here right now because this baby is ready to come. And they said, well, let us check you. And they did. And yes, she was ready to come. The same situation. She was just being held. So we were at the hospital about 20 minutes before she was born. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, so my mom was there and she was with Becca. Um, it was the coldest night that we had ever experienced in Abilene, Texas, minus 15 degrees. Oh my goodness. This is Texas. And sometimes Ow. they did get these great northers blowing through. Mm -hmm. And that was one night. And when we came home from the hospital, our bedroom was kind of off by itself and not well heated. And there was ice on the inside window <laughs> that was about two inches deep. So Melissa slept in her bassinet in the living room in front of the heater. And so anyway, <laughs> um, she was a quieter child and she slept well, which was a great gift. And again, just seeing the differences in children, even that little. And even as a newborn. Yes, huh? yes. And Becca didn't, she was, she didn't have a lot, a loud cry or anything, but she was very driven and she was crawling at five months, pulling up on the furniture and walking along it at six months wow. and walked at eight and a half months. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, it really also was. too soon. <laughs> right. But um, Melissa liked her sleep. One of a real precious memory, though, is um, I was up nursing and I always sang to my children, and um, while I was doing that and prayed over them because it was such a sweet, sweet time. Um, I know a lot of women have a lot of difficulties because they don't get much sleep during those early months. And But for me, just changing it up and using that as a time to sing my praises and worship God and sing over these babies. So anyway, Becca would get up and she would come walking out and she'd say, hold me both, mama, hold me both. <laughs> because I would say, do you want me to hold you both? And, and so she, that's how she interpreted that. And so, but that was even precious. It was precious. Becca was pretty small. And even though she was 20 and a half months old, so there was room on my lap for both of them. 
So, um, and we lived in Texas until Melissa turned two. And on her second birthday, we actually flew up to Oregon to begin our trek back up here. And um, Evan stayed behind. He was at this point out of the Air Force and he was flying for a a commuter airline. And so he stayed behind to get a little bit more experience and to finish up, sell our house and those kinds of things. And I came up and stayed with my parents and worked in the hospital in McMinnville four days a week just to kind of help us in that transition. And I'm very, very grateful for um, that time that my mom and dad allowed us to stay with them. And they got to know their two granddaughters and a funny story about Melissa, as quiet and cooperative as she was, um, she loved water. From the time she was little, I couldn't bathe her in the kitchen sink because she just splashed. She just loved it. Mm -hmm. And so... um, my mom was giving them a bath one night and she washed them up and got Melissa out because she was the smaller of the two and she dried her off and turned around to get Becca out and Melissa jumped back in so (laughs) she got her out and dried her up and got her in her diaper and her jammies and turned around to get Becca out and Melissa dove back in fully clothed (laughs) so she tells it that that's the only grandchild that she ever popped on her bottom (laughs) and told her no well Melissa when you popped her on the bottom she she (laughs) but then she was always the one that would wait until you weren't looking Mm -hmm. and then go back and do it again (laughs) um but now becca she would i would move her away from something that she wasn't supposed to do and she would crawl right back immediately Mm. and start doing what i told her not to and so i would flick her hand and move her and she would crawl right back and she would do that consistently three times Oh. And um, maybe the, you know, the last time I, I wrapped her little hand with a pencil. And um, then she, she would just go away and never do it again. But Melissa, I'd pick her up and it didn't matter. She, she'd wait 30 minutes and head back to do what she hadn't was not supposed to do. (laughs) So anyway, um, we moved to Portland. Evan got a job as a instructor, first of all. And so we moved and then he was hired by Air Oregon, which was a small commuter airline. And in the meantime, um, we started, we were pregnant with number three. And that was, we had a new adventure. Um, Portland at the, that time there were 
two or three years that they had a number of ice storms. And um, about a week before Jana was due, we had an out uh, ice storm and a power outage. And so our house was without power. And we stayed there for a couple of days. But then, I mean, with two mm-hmm. little ones, mm-hmm. we didn't have any source of heat. So we went and stayed with my parents in McMinnville again. Um, and so we got back probably on a Friday and and Jana made her entrance two days later (laughs) was this one as close of a call um no (laughs) but I it wasn't like I had a really hard time or anything when we got up there he ruptured my membranes and she was really little and she just came right out (laughs) which that never happened I didn't even push with her she just came out with the flow of the (laughs) amniotic fluid (laughs) (laughs) so here we were with our three little girls and um you know it it felt like the picture was almost complete and Evan would have been happy to stop with two (laughs) but I knew that we were supposed to have a boy, but this wasn't the boy. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, well. <laughs> but that totally upset my apple cart because with two kids, you have still have control. <laughs> you can put both of them in the cart. Mm-hmm. But when you have three kids and your husband travels, you have to take them shopping with you if you're going to get anything done. So now I have a car seat and a baby up in the front and I'm trying to pull, push the cart and I have one hand left for one child. And Rebecca, it wasn't that she was a bad child. (laughs) She just would get distracted. Mm. And one time we were in the store and she, uh, I did, I wasn't even aware that she had gotten away. (laughs) And all of a sudden I hear this panic. Mom, where are you? So anyway, we it wasn't quite as easy anymore and mm-hmm. the laundry didn't just multiply by one. It just seemed like it tripled at that point. Jana observed the girls. She she really liked and they liked her because she was small enough to put in their little baby doll stroller and so they would do things like that we did have a lot of fun when they were little I can remember a Halloween probably Jana may have been about 18 months old and and I just didn't buy Halloween costumes Um, and I know that there are some people that really don't but it was as much about the dress up we didn't walk around the neighborhood and we went to the next door neighbors and got something (laughs) but you know I loved painting their faces and making them clowns and tigers and those were the kinds of fun things that we did and that was a lot of fun with and during that time um 
I was able to be at home with them. We lived on a very, very tight budget, um, but we had fun. I enjoyed those little girls. (laughs) Then Brandon, we got pregnant with baby number four. And oh, but I was, it was still sometime in advance. Jana was still pretty little and I wasn't planning another child. I was nursing her and I really felt like the Lord had spoken to me and said, you will have a son. And I'm going, what? I'm not even (laughs) thinking in those terms. And then I stopped and because that was a desire of my heart, I felt like it was important to have both boys and girls so that they could grow up um, knowing that, that there are differences. And so I, I just in that same, I said, so, okay, Lord, if this is real, then confirm it to me. And he gave me a Bible verse, which was kind of random. It's not something that it was out of Jeremiah of all things. And um, Brandon was a surprise. It's not one that we planned where we had pretty much planned the rest of them. I was looking for names for him. And under the name Brandon was that unusual scripture. So I felt pretty certain that this was our boy and that was before ultrasounds and so you know there wasn't any way that we could um see that like they can now brandon came pretty fast and he exploded in the world and he had bumped his head on his way out so he had a hematoma that took a long time to absorb um and so The doctor was a little bit concerned, and he wanted to make sure that he hadn't somehow cracked his skull. So that was a time of trepidation and seeing them strap my little baby on the table to take a picture, you know. Um, But God, he did, he had told me back that he, to wait for six weeks, but the doctor really wanted to do this, and he was about four weeks old, so we went ahead and did it, and, but there wasn't anything wrong, but I'll tell you what, at six weeks, it just reabsorbed, just like the Lord had said, so um, that was a trying time, but it was also a, a step of faith. Um, and he affirmed himself. And so, you know, as I approached raising these kids, no matter what, no matter, you're always taken by surprise. (laughs) It's the most challenging, but it is also the most joyful thing that you would experience. But there was a time when, again, Evan was gone. This was kind of a my lowest point, uh, my oldest was, see, Brandon would have been crawling, so he was probably about eight months, and Becca would have been seven and a half, but everybody had been sick, 
and I wasn't getting any sleep um, because both Jana and Brandon, Jana would have been about three, three and a half. And I knew that I was tired and I just needed a moment to get God's perspective <laughs> and to just read read in his word for just a minute. So I was very, very clear with my seven and my five-year-old to, and I took them into the bedroom with the three and the eight-month-old and said, now listen, girls, I need you to play with you, with Jana and Brandon. And I need you not to get them playing with something. I need you to play with them until I'm done. And so I was very, very clear. I said, do you understand you're staying with them until I'm done? And they said, yes. So I shut their door. I went into my door and shut my door and I got on my knees and I said, Oh God, <laughs> I'm so tired. I just need you. And all of a sudden I hear <laughs> and the door shut. No, it didn't even shut. Um, and they ran into their bedroom. Don't tell mom, we can do this. And they shut their door. And Jana and Brandon both come out of the room immediately, mm -hmm. as I knew they would. Jana goes over to the girl's door and starts kicking on it. Let me in, let me in. And Brandon comes over, crawling over to my door and starts hitting it with his head. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it's like, <sighs> my goodness, and yeah. I opened the door so hard, I sent it through the wall. You sent it doorknob through the wall. I took, I stepped over Brandon and I went, yeah! and I kicked my foot through the wall <laughs> by the bathroom oh door and then I went over and I opened the door and I just what did I tell you <laughs> and then I turned around and I saw that hole in the wall and I just oh I went running into the kitchen and I fell on the floor and I said Oh, Jesus, I love these children. Where is this tension and anger coming from? Please deliver me. I confess it's sin, but I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> Pretty soon, they all come walking up and patting me on the shoulders and saying, Mommy, we're sorry, and kissing me and hugging me. And the Lord used the very thing that caused me to break to minister his love and grace to me. And I never, ever had another thing like that. He truly took it in because he knew where it came from, and he plucked it out of me. And he began to give me some little tools, and one of them was 
when you want to talk to your kids or discipline them, tell them, I'm going to tell you a secret. And so that was one thing. And, you know, you have to think about that. And that makes it more of a game because kids love secrets. (laughs) And so that was one of my little tools. I also believed that if God had given me these kids, then he had equipped me. I may needed to press into him to figure out what those tools were. But I also knew that I had the Holy Spirit living in me. And so one of the things I used to tell them um, is that I had eyes in the back of my head. And if they did anything wrong, they would get caught. I would find out. Maybe not in the exact moment, but but I would know. So they would come and and so they they'd try to test me and I'd go, I can tell and I'd name the child. <laughs> and they go, How do you know that? Where are those eyes? And they would come and part my hair and look for those eyes in the back of my head. <laughs> But, um, you know, that was a a little white lie, and yet they had no comprehension of what the Holy Spirit was. And so I began to, you know, seek him for those tools and those things to say. One of the things back in those days, they had children's, um, like, Papa John's Garden and the music machine. And um, so we would play those those kids' songs, and they were like little musicals about things going on in these different places. And one of them, you know, had the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and I would always, when I got them up in the morning, I would sing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, because I wanted them (laughs) to start their day with something more than just bad breath and and grumpies. (laughs) And those were fun adventures for us. In the midst of small children, it can seem like a day is a year. (laughs) But the time passes so quickly. I never wanted the Bible for the kids to resent Scripture, but I used it every day in their lives if I was trying to just help them to see things a little bit differently. Um, When Jana got older, she was a little bit plump, and she experienced a lot of bullying and and it was really hard because she of all of my children was a little sanguine that loved everybody and she just was saying hi to everybody as I pushed them through the cart I mean through the store and she just liked people <laughs> and she was very joyous i would e- i would call her either sunshine or storms throwing uh 
fit like none of the others ever did. But, you know, she was making sure that we heard her. Um, oh, you were talking about stories. Um, this backtracks a few years. Um, so they're 26 months. She was not much over maybe 15, 16 months. And I had put Becca and Melissa in swimming lessons. We were at a park and she was wanting to go play on the toys and things. And I said, no, watch your sisters. They're learning how to swim. And I was pregnant with Brandon. And one of the things that I experienced with him that I, I was so tired. I, I just, I was so tired. And I had not experienced that in any of my other pregnancy. So I think it had to do with the male hormones. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, so I was watching them and talking to them and encouraging them to watch their teacher and all those things. And suddenly it's like, I, I just thought, where is Jana? And she wa I looked and she wasn't there. And in just a few short minutes, she had made her way down to this tall, tall slide. And water slide, right? No, it was a regular slide. It was like 15 feet high. They did things like that back then. <laughs> and she was halfway up the ladder. Now, she was still tiny and she couldn't reach with her feet. So she was hanging on to the handles and crawling up wow. that ladder. And all of a sudden I just had this vision of her getting up to the top and starting to slide down and her feet going up and catching in the handle at the top and her flying over the side. I saw this vividly and I ran as fast as I could. I got there right in time to catch her. And she felt just as you She saw. felt just as I saw, you know, and the word tells us that we need to and treasure these little ones because their angels always behold the face of God. And I truly believe that the angels and the Holy Spirit were treasuring this child. And that that's why I knew what was going to happen because there's no way that I, number one, would have run because I was so exhausted. Mm -hmm. And that I could have been in just the right place to catch her right as she hit. And she came head first. of people who doubt the existence of God and they've had difficulties in their even as children growing up and they wonder why if there is a God 
why he allowed that to happen. We have to recognize that in this world, Jesus said we would have tribulation because it comes with the fallen nature of sin, and sin has affected everything. She was so little, she didn't have any understanding of the danger, and yet she was doing what I had told her not to do even then. But if you seek God, if you look to him, he promises that he will be found by us and that he will give us his Holy Spirit to teach us, to give us wisdom, to convict us of our own sin so that we can be tenderer people and that it is only through a relationship of accepting Jesus. And we've just gone through Easter and his death on the cross in payment for our sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in the beginning, I truly, as I read that scripture up at the start, believed that the family is God's idea. And so I prayed over these children before they were conceived. I prayed for them. I sang over them during those nights when I was nursing in the middle of the night or or taking care of a child who had a fever. He had a plan for Jana's life. And he, out of his grace and mercy, uh, and because I was seeking his face. I was asking him to help me with this whole thing because I did so much of it by myself. And that's the only explanation that I have is that God loves each one of us and he is kind and good and yes, hard and sad and Death comes to this world, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that he is the one who spoke to me, who who jerked my shoulder and said, where's Jana? And that he gave me that picture so I would know exactly where to go. Um, and he saved her for his own purposes. Um, so... Going back, getting back into her grade school years, kids were mean, and she would come stomping home, and she would be so upset, and I can remember a lot of hours just holding her on my lap and saying, okay, tell me about your day, and she was, she would tell me about her day, 
and how the kids would laugh at her and call her fatso and things like that. And the Lord had used difficulty in my own childhood to draw me to himself. And it was in my heart to give him the opportunity in those moments, not to just agree with my children about how horrible that was, but to identify those things as sin. And that that was the reason that Jesus had to die on the cross. And he tells us that we need to forgive and understand that he loves us in spite of what anybody else says. And her dad had experienced things similar to that in his childhood. And I got the opportunity just to say, do you love your daddy? What do you think of him? And, you know, she would verbalize that. And I'd say, do you know that when he was little, he had a lot of the same problems that you are dealing with? But you, we love him. We know who he is. And God had a plan for his life. And part of that plan was you. And so we dealt with those issues of sin, we identified what sin is, and we applied the word to sin and prayed together. And it wasn't just a one-time thing, but she today is one of the most gracious and giving women And part of that is because she faced hardship with the Lord. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And then we have Brandon. (laughs) And Brandon was a joy, pretty much. (laughs) He was this funny little boy that... um, at two years old, or even before, 18 months, when it was about bedtime, you could tell he was tired. But he, of course, denied it. <laughs> but he <laughs> would go down into our family room, and he would run around the coffee table mm-hmm. and literally collapse asleep. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He would do that every night about three or four or five or six times and then just collapse asleep. (laughs) One time we had a neighbor who had had knee surgery and uh, her boss brought her over to see us and give us something. And I had gone out to greet her and Brandon had followed me to the door and he was standing at the door when I walked out. But just in the like three or four minutes to help her walk up to the door, he had crashed in the doorway. Yes! And fallen asleep. And we couldn't open the door. (laughs) 
<laughs> Fortunately, there was another way into the house that at that point wasn't locked. Or maybe I got one of the older kids to go unlock the other door so that I could move him. <laughs> but he just was full of energy. And But when he was done, he was done. Um, those were some funny things about him. As he got older... Um, and we, his friends would want to play. They'd either call or come and knock on the door. I'd tell him, you know, I gave you this job to do and you cannot do it. You cannot play until you clean your room Mm -hmm. or until you finish mowing the lawn or whatever it was. And I would inevitably go up to check on him and his friends were in there doing the work for him. <laughs> so he he was a little Tom Sawyer in that light. That's awesome. Yeah. He doesn't sing like that today. I, well, <laughs> you know, life teaches all of us. <laughs> and um, yeah. So how... How do you deal, how did you deal with the teenage drama that just inevitably comes by rights of being a teenager? Right. Well, for one thing, because um, there were four of them, and at the time, and we were in public schools, um, I had one in primary grades, one in the intermediate grades, which was fourth, fifth, and sixth at where we were living. I had one in junior high and one in high school. And you cannot believe the amount of paper that comes home when you have that many different levels. And, but I, because Evan was still very, very involved with work and gone a lot, I just knew that I couldn't keep up the way I wanted to with them. And so I limited them to two extracurricular activities um, in the fall and spring. So that was one way that we kept things manageable um, in our home. And I know that in this day and age, people feel like they have to give their kids the opportunities to experience whatever. And I, I didn't dictate to them what they had to pursue, but they just had to limit it to two things, whether it was choir and cross country or soccer and piano, whatever. They, they just knew that that's what I had to do. Becca was the first. I I know I've talked a lot about her. I can remember when she was a little bit older. She came and to me. It was a Valentine's Day actually, and Evan and I were going to go out for dinner, and um, she had gone to her dad first and asked him if she could go out with her friends. And he had said, well, you ask your mom. Um, It's fine with me if she says yes. (laughs) But the way that she said, well, Dad said that I could do this, Mom. So what do you think? And I said, 
I need to think about this a little bit because I really felt a check in my spirit about it. And we were living in in the Portland area at that time. And, um, you know, there weren't a lot of, there were a lot of unhealthy activities that could suck people in. And I went up to Evan and I said, I just am not feeling good about this. I don't think we should let her go. I don't know what's going on, but I just, and this was a good resolution. He went to her and he said, Becca, I know I said that you could go, but I need you to know that your mom is not feeling good. She doesn't think you're telling us the whole story. But we have raised you, and you know that you belong, you are our daughter, and that you belong to the Lord. You've had the word in your life, and I know that you're going to make the right decision about what you're about to do. And... A few minutes later, he heard her go into our bedroom. We had landlines then. They didn't have cell phones. <laughs> she went into our bedroom instead of the phone downstairs. <laughs> and he heard her call her friends and said, my parents are going out tonight. And I don't know how my mom knows these things, but I can't go with you. And then she came back and said, well, we were going to go to a dance in downtown Portland, which was not a good venue. Mm -hmm. It was in a not good part of town. And so, so that was one thing that we did. Oh, she, <laughs> all the others kind of observed the things going on with Becca and Melissa really observed. So she, she never argued <laughs> with her dad, <laughs> but another time she was, she had a friend, uh, a guy friend and they were going out to a movie. We asked them what movie they were going to. And they told us and, headed out the door and I said, Evan, I think that that movie is an R-rated movie. And he said, he, he looked it up and yes, it was an R-rated movie. And she was not old enough to go to an R-rated movie and certainly was not something we want. So I walked out on the porch and I whistled and told them <laughs> to come back. <laughs> <laughs> and looked at them and said, that's an R-rated movie. And Becca is not old enough to go to that movie. And it isn't just our Christian standard. The world says she is not old enough to go to that movie. And we are not giving you our blessing. Um, so they went and they did something else, but that ended that relationship. <laughs> I bet it did. <laughs> and she, but the thing is, you know, at the time, she 
didn't appreciate that. However, obviously, it was not a good relationship. And that was something that was really important to us. And we're the parents. That's the thing. If you have a sense of uneasiness about a relationship, you don't have to be your child's friend all of the time because you are your child's parents. And we are charged with training up our children. We are charged with protecting our children from things they don't understand yet. And that may, um, that in the long run, would hurt them. So that's an example of one with Becca. Um, (laughs) I wasn't involved in this particular incident with Melissa, but for whatever reason, her boyfriend had followed her up to her bedroom. (laughs) And my husband waited a few seconds and went up (laughs) and made sure that they got out of that bedroom. (laughs) And I did. I took that young man for a walk (laughs) and had a, a talk with him and said, Melissa is our treasure. We love her. And in allowing her to spend time with you, we expect you to treat her as our treasure. When I asked you to do this podcast, Mm -hmm. I did not expect it to go like this. (laughs) I expected, I don't know what I expected, but not so much of just a long talk of just listen to the Holy Spirit. I was (laughs) expecting a little bit more like this is what I did. These are some tools and tricks and it's been none of that. So that's really interesting. Well... When I think back, I wanted to raise confident children that understood that they had purpose and not just to live day to day. But I was totally inadequate to do that. So... I spent hours praying for my children. And I cannot take any credit because I was so dependent. (laughs) And these were not things that... There was a time um, when Jana was pulling my strings as a little girl and... My friend, and she started to throw a temper tantrum. And my friend looked at her and she said, Jana, this is your mother. You will not treat her that way. (laughs) And Jana kind of looked at her and walked away. And she said, Dawn, you're the parent. And it was probably a week or two later, she was doing the same thing. And my dad looked at me and said, Dawn, you do not have to put up with this. You are the parent. She needs structure. 
which was really hard for me because I had all these other kids. <laughs> but it was true. And that became a real true thing in, in school. She was struggling. And I had taken her out in the second grade for a little while to help her at home to catch up. She It was a really difficult situation and I she had two teachers one of them was wonderful and the other one just had decided that she was not worth anything just because (laughs) and I was not going to put my child through that so I took her out of school and within three weeks she had caught up and Part of it was she did need some help. I figured out that she was a little had a little bit of dyslexia and just needed a little bit. And she had would come home and tell me, I can't concentrate in the room because it's so noisy. They don't have any control. And I'd go, Oh, Jana, you just need to concentrate. But that yeah. was wrong. <laughs> so finally I I got a clue and I I said <laughs> I don't know which teacher this is, um, but I need a teacher that is well-organized and has well-defined expectations for Jana. Um, And so they assigned her to the teacher that had those characteristics Jana came home and she said mom if you've got a messy desk she'll dump it and make you stay in from recess and organize it I'm going uh (laughs) but I had prayed I had asked the Lord and this was the teacher that she had and that ended up being the best teacher for Jana. And she went from, you know, just mediocre to getting A's and B's. And um, that just really changed her life. Um, so, so there in life, with all of your kids, you're going to, come up against things that you there's no way you can anticipate and there's no way that any one person has enough wisdom in and of themselves to figure things out I at the time there were I mean and it's true in this day and age as well there were so many changes in what the world said you should do in raising your children And then 10 years later, they would say, no, 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 that's all wrong. You need to do this instead. And the world is that way. Mm -hmm. It changes about every decade. And but there's one standard. And when I was 15 years old, I had a crisis in my own life. There were several things that had taken place the summer before, and I had the opportunity. I had been elected to a student camp council. They planned um, 
the camp, and it was a Christian group. And so we had uh, things at school had been rough. Um, I was the girl that everybody loved to hate, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not a, a role that is very much fun. <laughs> and so that part of my life was unstable. And I went to this camp council, and everybody there was older than me. And the first night was more of a get to know each other and just to start kind of talking about the past year. And then, and this will just, people will laugh when I say this because it's so different now. But we, um, I figured that the boys would be in one room and the girls would be in a different room. But they took us all in the same big cafeteria and the boys and the girls were all sleeping together. And then the next morning, we had our discussion and started our plans. And at the end, Well, and they were talking about all these sensitivity things that we could do to help the people be more sensitive to each other and learn to trust each other and all of that stuff. And at the end, the camp director looked around the room and said, well, I think we've got a good start. Um, Does anybody have anything to add? Well, we were a Christian camp, and they had not mentioned the name of Jesus. And so I looked around the room, and I said, Well, I think all the things that you have talked about are things that our youth could get at any camp that they would go to. But we're supposed to be a Christian camp, and I think we need to talk about Jesus and maybe do some Bible study. And he just looked at me and he said, well, how do you propose we do that? And I'm 15 years old. I'm there Mm -hmm. because I was looking to know Jesus more. And then everybody in the room went around and said, yeah, Don, blah, 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 you know, and it was just, you know, arrow after arrow after arrow. And finally, the gentleman who was a pastor sitting next to me and he said, well, I'm not exactly sure how we should do it, but I think Don is right. And so that ended that conversation. Well, that was very, very difficult for me because I realized that the adults in that room didn't know him any more than I did. And we were going to, we closed that meeting and went to this youth convocation. And I thought, and the bishop was there and he was supposed to talk. And the structure of the Methodist church is interesting. But anyway, but again, he did not talk about a relationship with the Lord. And I was just on the verge of tears the whole trip back 
to our little town and I walked in the door and my mom looked at me and she said, you look horrible. What's wrong? And I just burst into tears and I just said, I can't even tell you. It's so black and dark. And, and she said, well, you should just go to bed. (laughs) And I did. And I went into bed and I just was weeping. And I just said, God, if you're real, I have to know it now. It's not that I was contemplating taking my own life, but I just knew I was going to die if if he didn't speak to me. (laughs) I had accepted Jesus when I was six years old. Um, I, you know, so, and I was taught to pray from the earliest childhood. My mom tucked us into bed. Um, when I was 10, she told me that it was time for me to start praying for myself. And of course she had two little kids and a husband that was gone. So I did. And every single night I would say the Lord's prayer. (laughs) And I, I know that God heard those prayers. It may seem like a formal prayer that doesn't mean a lot, but it was asking, it was confessing his holiness and asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in my life as it was in heaven. And I, he took me at that word and I was laying there and I didn't hear a loud voice. I just knew. And these were the words that I heard. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. In this world, you will have tribulation because it's full of fallen men. That's what sin is. Even your parents whom you trust and love, what if they died tomorrow? Where would you be? What would you do? But I am the same. My word never changes. And you can trust me and stake your life on me. Those were not words that I had ever heard from the pulpit. And I am. That's what God calls himself in the word. And he doesn't always touch people's hearts, but I had given myself to him as a child and I was seeking him. I was there because I was looking to know him more. And when that is the hunger in our hearts, he, he will not deny himself to the one who is seeking him. And I truly believe I would have been swallowed up by the world and devastated, except, except God. And so before I came here, and I, I know that's not what you were, well, I didn't know what you were looking for, but, but 
There is no parent that is smart enough or wise enough. Yes, it's good to know what's going on, to hear, but look at what's happened to families. They're hardly existent anymore. And when you don't have something that you're living for besides yourself, that's what happens. If I were to die today, I know that in my belief and in my heart of hearts, I will go to be with God. He told me I am the Alpha and the Omega. He calls himself I am in the word. The Bible is a historical document. It is not just a bunch of words that were written thousands and thousands of years ago. It's the only thing that doesn't change. Everything else changes. But that has stood firm. So as the years have passed, that is my purpose, is to hang on with faith against all odds, and it has been good. My husband and I have been married for 48 and a half years, and he was gone a lot. (laughs) There were many, many things that could have torn us apart, and yet we both believe God and have worked things through because of that. It's not just for ourselves. <laughs> it would Sometimes it's a lot easier to just... <laughs> but working it through, there's redemption, and, and we are so much closer even now than we were, you know, when we... And the passion was strong. <laughs> passion is still strong, <laughs> but it has a firm foundation. And so as I was thinking about that before I even came, I just had to acknowledge that this is your story, not mine. And if there's one person that can find some hope in understanding that it's okay to be totally inadequate and to admit it. You know, we made mistakes, but one of the things that the Lord had placed in our heart is that we needed to go to our children and apologize when we had done, had come down too hard or whatever. Um, And I think there is redemption in that. We have a good relationship with all of our kids today, and their lives haven't gone the way that we might have planned it or hoped um, because we live in this world and all of us are raised in different homes and you have to come together and find the oneness that you have and allow that to knit you together rather than allowing your differences to pull you apart. 
you come alongside and you understand that I didn't marry a perfect person and I am not a perfect person. And so how can we be broken together and yet stand firm? And there's only one way that I know to do that. And that is trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts and leaning not to our own understanding, but to acknowledge him in all of our ways. And he promises he will direct our paths. Mm -hmm.